Hello, Pan-Africanists. Thank you again. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Pan-African Review podcast. And by the way, do not forget to subscribe to get the Pan-African Review magazine or to get the online version. It is so easy. Just head over to the Pan-African Review social media channels for more information. We have been talking about African liberation, but what does that truly mean? How does it feel to be fully liberated? What are those indicators that show that we are really and indeed a liberated people. In this episode, we'll be looking at those key things that we want our leaders to do or those that we do not want them to do to make sure that we are not distracted or derailed from our vision, which is the real quest for liberation, as Dr. Moses Kisa puts it. What is it that you think should be done? Because, okay, we've discussed about problems. um, And of course, while talking about problems, we also came up with potential solutions. But what is it that we should do to make sure that African leaders and a few foreign partners do not distract us from from that quest uh, for, for liberation as a people and what is it that our leaders should do? You know that is the million dollar question my sister you know I have to say um you know, we, we, we and, and these things have been debated for a long time. I would be uh, presumptuous and pretentious if I told you that, you know, I'm talking about these things as the first person to talk about them. Of course not. Uh, successive generations of African scholars, African activists, and, you know, social justice leaders have spoken out about and against these problems. And they have tried to, you know, imagine the solutions that need to be pursued and need to be promoted. And, 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 and unfortunately, there is no magic bullet. There's no magic wand. There's no, there's no easy fix. Uh, if there was one, it would have already been you know, done and we wouldn't be talking about this today uh, in the year 2021. We would be perhaps uh, talking about something else because you know, from the time of independence through the, the troubled decades of the 70s and 80s and 90s, Pan-African scholars and, and Pan-African activists have tried to imagine and, and articulate what they think are the solutions. And, and, and somehow things you know, haven't worked. So, but you see, at a basic philosophical level, as far as I'm concerned, the starting place, the possible solution has to be with us as Africans getting to a point where we liberate our intellects, we, we liberate our thinking, you know, again, unless and until and I, I don't like to hack into this, you know, rather cheap cliche of mind change or whatever it is called that you hear a lot in NGO circles. But, but, but there's need for intellectual liberation. I, and I don't know where that has to, from where that has to be done. And at one point, I always thought, and I've written about this for the Pan-African Review, I've always thought that education, particularly the space at the university, is very important for driving the sort of intellectual liberation that is needed. But then when you think about it, then you see that not very many African people actually go to the university. And so, so it, it's, it's a very limited and privileged space. The vast majority of African peoples, you know, remain in rural settings and only a tiny fraction are able to go to the university and 
get, in, yeah. get invested in education. Those, of course, can be agents of social transformation. You know, you and I who have had the chance to go to school at the highest levels, you know, we can bring about change as change agents. And over the time, over the past many years, that has been the case, but it's not enough. Unless, again, unless we liberate ourselves in thinking and say that, you know, we must assert our integrity, our sovereignty as a people and demand Again, this is, this is an issue of bottom-up pressure and bottom-up agenda where there has to be a critical mass, you know, meaning there have to be enough people willing to say, no, we must change things. We have yeah. to do things differently. Yeah. You know, unless that sort of social pool of people are able to find common purpose and have collective action that that demands for better, that demands for change and says, listen, no, we need to have policy sovereignty. In other words, we need to be able to determine what we want to do as a people, not somebody coming from somewhere else and dictating for us what we need to do, what is right for us, what is good for us. Like, you know, it was done with socioeconomic policies in the 1980s and 90s, which have now pretty much backfired. Many African leaders like Uganda's Museveni, who embraced these neoliberal economic policies of you know, free market and you know, liberal, liberalization, privatization, they have now you know, sort of reached a point where they regret that they shouldn't have done the things that the IMF and the World Bank were telling them to do. Because those policies, while they have brought about some superficial growth, they have not enabled the kind of socioeconomic transformation that the continent needs. And so there is need to go back to the drawing board and rethink policies that are for the service of the African people, not policies that that serve multinational interests. Yeah, external actors. Mm-hmm. We should also have some time to discuss about you know these international organs and what really they bring to Africa because some of their measures, the austerity measures, for example, that they propose are very harmful to to the African people in a sense when you look at it. And you closed your article. The last sentence was basically something that I liked very much. You said so after applying what what you you are saying now. You said. Only then, as the Chinese and other Asian nationalities have recently accomplished, shall we as Africans save ourselves from the arrogance, disrespect, and demeaning paternalism of our ostensible Western benefactors. You sounded very angry (laughs) with that last sentence. Here's what I was trying to say, that... There is this arrogant paternalism. You know, you know, paternalism means somebody treating you. What I was saying earlier, somebody treating you like a child. You know, a, a paternal, paternal. You know, from parents, right? Paternalistic. You know, I look at you with disrespect and condescension because I think you are a child, right? And I have to patronize you and and direct you and and tell you that. You know, you should think like this and not like that, right? That is the sort of attitude that especially the West has towards Africa and African peoples. And we allow that to happen, actually. We ourselves as Africans, we allow our ostensible, you know, (laughs) meaning supposed or purported uh, benefactors or purported uh, saviors, we allow them to treat us with demeaning attitudes to look down upon us. 
to disrespect us as a people and tell us what to do, give us lectures about democracy, about human rights, about how we should, you know, do ABCD and not, not the other thing. That kind of lecturing and that kind of demeaning attitude that is directed at us is done because, Cynthia, we are a poor people. The East, the Chinese, the Koreans, uh, the Japanese, and to some extent the Indians, they don't suffer that paternalistic and demeaning attitude from the West today. They used to in the past, by the way, but today they don't suffer that because they have liberated themselves. They have reached a point where they are able to do their own things. China is now such a powerful force, the second biggest economy in the world. And the Chinese people today can stand and have an argument with Americans or with Europeans without being told to listen or being told to take the lectures and lessons from the West. Unless we as Africans are able to stand on our own and not be beggars, because begging is demeaning. It strips you of your dignity as a human person. When people are giving you handouts in the form of foreign aid that keeps you dependent, that keeps you beholden to them, when people are the ones funding your uh, basic public goods and services like roads, like you know education and healthcare, they're going to be giving you all the lectures they want to give you, and they will be demanding that you listen to their lectures because they are your benefactors. They are your saviors. You know, the savior mission, just to go to Twitter, and you see how a white man still believes that he has the mission to save Africa. And we as African people, of course, we cheer, we applaud, we, we are happy that somebody is coming with the attitude of wanting to save us. I can tell you, we have to save ourselves because I don't know of any people, any country, any community in the world that was saved and made to be, you know, a people that have pride in themselves because of some external savior that came and brought development, that came and brought well-being and so on and so forth. I always challenge people, just tell me one country in the world that today is a rich country. It used to be so poor, but it became rich because of foreign aid, because of external handouts, because of some humanitarian goodwill of the outsiders. I am still waiting, and I bet anybody, and I'm willing to put on the table the last coin of my wealth or earnings or income. I'm willing to surrender. If somebody can tell me in a very convincing way, just name for me one country that today is a rich country because of external handouts. I'll eat humble pie and rest my case and say, okay, fine, I'm, you know, I give up. I totally agree with you. It's basically you save yourself because no one is coming. You it's, have to pull yourself by the bootstraps. Um, it's, that's, that's what it is. You have to do it yourself. There are no shortcuts. There's no other way uh, around having to bring about your own liberation. You have yeah. to do it yourself as a yeah. people. And here, the leadership is very critical. But I think for me, most importantly, the people from bottom up, from the grassroots, they have to demand for what is due to them. And that is the true meaning of liberation. Correct. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Moses, for this time. I hope that uh, we get to read a lot more from you and to have these kind of conversations, of course. The pleasure is all mine. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Dr. Moses on the Pan-African Review podcast. He was explaining his ideas of Africa's elusive quest for liberation. You can find the article on the Pan-African Review platforms. You can subscribe to get the hard copy magazine or the online version of the magazine. 